the series I've got this Sunday and next Sunday is the, is the last two in the series, Winning Your War. And so we have had a great time with that and we're learning all kinds of cool stuff. And today is going to be no different. I'm going to be speaking uh, in Judges chapter 4, but the title of the message is When the Ordinary Becomes the Extraordinary. Everybody say that with me. When the Ordinary Becomes the Extraordinary. Isn't that how God works? We read the Bible stories and we, we think this magical thing happened. It was just ordinary people living ordinary lives and God did extraordinary things through them. Amen? So I want you, if you will, to stand for the reading of God's word, if you will. We do that just in honor of his word. Judges chapter 4, a lengthy little passage here. We're going to talk about two women, Deborah and in particular. I'm going to preach and zone in on JL. And there are some messages in here for us today for everybody. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. Last week we preached on Ehud and before that, Othniel. So Othniel, he whipped everybody. As long as he was alive, everybody served God. When he died, they all went to sin again. Then Ehud raised up. He whooped the king, killed Eglon, got them back on the right track. When he died, here we are again. It was like, it's just this pattern over and over and over. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth, excuse me, Hagoim. Because he had 900 chariots filled with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. Very unusual for a woman to be leading Israel. In fact, this is one of the very few times you see this. It's very important who she was and her role in Israel. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam. From Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulon and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went into Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulon and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with them. Now Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zenanim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harashath Hegelim, try reading all these names, I mean, come on, can we just have Cincinnati or, you know, Dallas or something, to the Kishon River and all his men and his 900 chariots filled with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. What happened is, if you read history, it was a, it was a, it was a, a terrible rainstorm 
and it filled the valley with mud, and all the 900 chariots got stuck in the mud. God, God is the great equalizer. Amen? Amen? And so then the army, they were able to beat him. So verse 16, Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harosheth, Haglim, and all of Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through the temple into the ground, and he died. Now, if I'm Heber, I'm going to say, don't make her mad when you're trying to sleep. Amen? Verse 22, just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your presence. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Father God, for this message that, God, you're able to take the ordinary and turn it into the extraordinary. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us. Lord God, we've not accomplished much if we haven't been in your presence and we haven't heard from you. God, speak to us the word of God. Let us hear your voice within my voice. I ask you, O oh Lord, let this seed be planted in the good soil of our hearts and go and bear forth fruit in our lives. Lord, let it explode in us and let it transform us. Let us receive it with gladness and apply it in every aspect of our lives. And let my preaching today not be in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Turn to your neighbor and just say, Happy Mother's Day. Would you do that? Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mama. I know you're watching. And now, if you will, hold your Bibles up into the air, whatever form you have. And let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only. Deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears. Anoint my heart. Anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. High five somebody else and tell them happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mama. A few little sayings that I found. I love these quotes. Teddy Roosevelt, former president of the United States, said, Praying mothers are America's greatest assets. I really believe that. Sarah Hupp said, A mother's lap is the best place from which to launch a life. Ellen Goodman said, She's someone who will listen to your problems until you are bored with them. Isn't that true? Abraham Lincoln said, No one is poor who had a godly mother. Amen. Ralph Waldo Emerson, when speaking about the benefits of unity, said, Together is the most beautiful word in the dictionary outside of a word, mother. Charles Wesley said, I learned more about God from my mother than from all the theologians in, Egypt, in England. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? Charles Spurgeon said it this way, I cannot tell how much I owe 
to the prayers of my good mother. How many of you can relate to where you are today because of your mother and her prayers? I like what Brother Jim Dingus right here says. He got saved at 52 years of age, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in his 50s. And he said his mama's prayers were like heat-seeking missiles. Ran him down, chased him down, and got a hold of him. How many know what you? How many know your mama's prayers are like heat-seeking missiles? Amen. If you're a mama, don't stop praying. Amen. They're like heat-seeking missiles. They can't outrun your prayers. Somebody say a good amen to that. Amen. Your prayers will chase them down in the bar room, at the casino, the horse track, wherever else they go. God will be chasing them down. Like a lot of mothers, Jael's life was nothing if not predictable. How did you think about Jael for a moment? Living in the low mountains of eastern Israel, and the scorpions, and the rocks, and the dust. I mean, life was difficult at best, monotonous at worst. Boredom and monotony was probably her worst enemy. Water had to be drawn. It was a hard day's work every day. Water had to be drawn. Sticks had to be gathered for the fire for cooking. Children had to be cared for and fed. Clothes had to be made and or mended. Cows had to be milked. Chickens had to be fed. I mean, it was an everyday affair for someone like her. Like mothers today, the list of chores was endless and exhausting. Most women go up from the rooster crowing before sun and go to way after the sun sets. They're tireless and they work hard. There's little time for mamas to rest and relax. Most holidays are actually more work on them, more cooking, more cleaning, more people to tend to, and the list goes on and on and on. The point is, J.L. lived a very ordinary life. And that leads me to point number one, and that is this. Most people live a very ordinary life. Poke your neighbor and say, hey, you, you probably live an ordinary life. The word ordinary, I'm going somewhere with this, means the regular or customary condition or course of things. Now, this particular story in Judges chapter 4 started out probably like most every other day in Jael's life. Up before dawn. Stoking the fire, preparing breakfast, since Heber, her husband, wasn't home, probably out tending the sheep, working somewhere, everything was on her shoulders to do by herself. It looked as if it was going to be just an ordinary day in the ordinary life of a woman living in a tent in the middle of a desert in eastern Israel. You know, on ordinary days, the alarm clock goes off when it's supposed to, the car starts, the boss isn't unusually mean. The bus isn't late. The phone doesn't ring with some emergency. It's just your run-of-the-mill, typical, ordinary, average day. How many knows what I'm talking about? Jail's day was going along in an ordinary way when a man named Sisera, their greatest enemy, came in and changed everything. She recognized him immediately because he'd been there before. He was friends with her husband. They had made peace with the Canaanites, and he trusted her, and he trusted her husband, and so that's where he ran for help when he got in trouble. He was tired, scared for his life, probably a little bloody, exhausted, dirt and mud all over him. He probably looked like a mess. Isn't it interesting how you and I can be minding our own business on what we think is going to be a typical day? 
what we think is going to be the run-of-the-mill average day. You're picking the children up from school. You're dropping them off. You're cooking the meals. You're cleaning the house for mothers. The dad's going to work. He's doing this, and that's the typical household, but it could be vice versa, whatever. But my point is, you just think it's going to be the typical day, and all of a sudden, something happens in your day that is anything but typical. That happened to a lady named Rose Carter who was gassing up her vehicle. And as she finished gassing up, she put her, the pump back on there. And a thief ran in, jumped in her car, cranked it, and began to drive off with her five-year-old son in the backseat. She went running after the vehicle before it got up to a big speed and literally dove through the open window and grabbed the steering wheel. The thief was, began punching her in the face and in the nose and with a strength of, from somewhere else, she fought him off, took the punches, fought him with the steering wheel to the point that he crashed into another store, and the fighting resumed. By the time the police got there, she had gotten the low jack club out of her back seat and was beating him to a pulp. He was unable to even get out of the car. The cops were saying, hey, you can let him go. And the man was pleading, please stop hitting me. With the low jack club. Don't mess with a mama and her babies. Her day started out very typical, unlike any other, until he got in that car. You know, in Miami, we had a little rash of things going on. You'd ride down the street with your window down. If you came to a stop sign or a stoplight, thieves would just stick their hand in with a knife to your throat. And they would say, give me your wallet or your purse. Well, on this particular day, an off-duty police officer who was working with my brother-in-law grabbed his right wrist where the knife was and jerked him this way, rolled the window up and began to drive off with his legs and his knees scraping and getting road rash and just burning through the street. He's yelling at the man, you want to put a knife to my throat? And the guy's screaming, oh, stop. By the time he let him go, he rolled the window down. The man, of course, crumpled over with skint knees and legs and he got to jail and the cops all laughed at him ordinary days can present some extraordinary things most people live just like jl same neighborhood shop in the same stores take the same routes to school same routes to the work same routes to the shop same routes everywhere you go but in the midst of everyday living we can all too easily forget that god is able to do the extraordinary through you on an ordinary day J.L. lived in a tent in the desert, it's no doubt. She probably, in her mind, it seemed so far removed from anything exciting, so way out on the boondocks, so way out in the West 40 somewhere, that she thought nothing exciting could ever happen here. Until one day she ran out of the tent, and there stood Israel's fiercest enemy. A man who cruelly oppressed them. A man who dominated them. A man worse than Osama bin Laden. It was kind of like a mix between Hitler and Osama bin Laden showing up to her tent that day. This is the kind of man he was. Now you may think your day would just be an ordinary day. But perhaps in the midst of your ordinary day, in a Walmart aisle, you may lead somebody to Jesus. Perhaps on an ordinary day, you may check out at Kroger, and before you get to your car, you're able to lay hands on somebody and watch God heal their body. Can I get a witness? In the midst of an ordinary life, you may raise children who will actually grow up to want to serve God and serve God and get married and raise their kids 
serving God. Wouldn't that be a, a great amen there? In the midst of an ordinary life, God can work extraordinary miracles through you. Just when you least expect it, just when you don't think it's coming, God will work something through you, and you'll get in the car and go, Wow, did I just see what I think I just saw? Did what happened just really just happen? How many have ever had an experience like that? There was a wonderful minister one day in the Church of God. His name was T.L. Lowry. He was a wonderful revivalist many years ago. And he had led a, a, a fasting conference, and it was a conference, and they were fasting. And when it was over, he was going back on that Saturday to preach at another minister's church. He said, well, you'd have to know T.L. Lowry. Brother, the fast is over. Pull over here to the chicken house, and let's get some chicken. So they come there. Well, a young man comes up with an obvious deformity, and he says, young man... We're going to pray God heal you. And so the pastor and him sat down. He thought, the pastor thought, well, we'll just pray for him over the meal. You know, we'll just have a little nice prayer there. Well, all the dinner went, no prayer, no nothing. Man, they went to check out. The pastor thought, well, he said he was going to pray for him. Well, he went out there and he looked at him. And in front of the restaurant, God and everybody, very undiscreet. He said, young man, raise your hands toward heaven. God's going to heal you. Man, the whole restaurant's looking. The pastor's trying to duck out thinking, this is going to be a nightmare. He laid his hands on that boy, and that obvious deformity was healed on the spot right there in the midst of that restaurant. On an ordinary day, extraordinary things can happen. On an ordinary day, extraordinary things can happen. He said, we looked in the review, that little boy was waving all the way till you couldn't see him no more. Glory to God. God's still in the healing business, folks. God's still in the miracle working business. God can still cause cancer to disappear. He can still cause leukemia to fly right out of bodies. He can still cause heart, heart conditions to disappear and leave. He can still heal the sick. Every known man disease known to man was healed by Jesus Christ. And if we believe him on an ordinary day like this, God can still heal the sick. Woo! Pastor, I'm nobody. I'm just an ordinary mom. I'm just trying to raise the kids. I'm just trying to, you know, get them through school. I'm just trying to this, I'm that. Hey, listen, ordinary days, but you may be raising up the next Billy Graham. You, you're raising children to be great doctors and lawyers and mechanics and tradesmen. And you're raising them up to be ministers. I'm telling you, what you're doing matters. It may seem ordinary, but God works through the ordinary. We think sometimes we got to have lightning bolts from the sky to get us. No, God works through the ordinary days of life. Everybody say ordinary. Sisera shows up gasping for breath. JL's probably like, what is going on? Why did Osama bin Laden show up to my house? He shares the story. He's looking for a place to hide. She brings him into her tent. Now listen. The only man that was to ever go in a woman's tent was her husband. It was not only socially totally unacceptable, it was not only morally unacceptable, the penalty for a man entering into a woman's tent that was not his wife was death. He signed his own execution. She gives him some milk, covers him up. He falls asleep. She walks away thinking to herself, 
What just happened on my ordinary day? Osama bin Laden is sleeping in my tent. Hitler just showed up. Our worst enemy, our worst nightmare is asleep. And she begins to think, could it really be this easy? She begins, it begins to dawn on her, watch this, that her ordinary day presented a great opportunity. And that leads me to point number two for you and I. Our ordinary days can lead you to an opportunity. The word opportunity means a favorable juncture or circum, of circumstances, a good chance for advancement or progress. Have you ever had an opportunity come along and you missed it? Maybe it was a good business deal. Maybe it was a chance to do something good. Maybe it was an encouraging word you were supposed to share with somebody or do something encouraging for them, and you didn't. And later on, you said, why didn't I take advantage of my opportunity? The reason so many people never get anywhere in life is because when opportunity knocks on the front door, they are out in the backyard looking for a four-leaf clover or a pot of gold under a rainbow. Here's what I have found. Many times opportunities in life present themselves and they dress themselves up and look like work. How many know what I'm talking about? When God breaks in on an ordinary day for your and I's life, just like J.L., it can become extraordinary. Extraordinary means a going beyond what is usual, regular, or customary. Exceptional for a very marked extent. It was an ordinary day that turned extraordinary when ordinary fishermen got out at the command of Jesus and their ordinary boats with their ordinary nets cast it on the right side of the ship and they got an extraordinary haul to the point it was sinking the boat. On an ordinary day, <laughs> extraordinary things happened. It was a usual day that became very unusual when a little boy's lunch that his mama packed fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, many think 20,000 people. Who knew when that mama packed his lunch that day, she was feeding 20,000 people in Israel. On an ordinary day, what you're doing will impact not only the kingdom, not only your family, but those around you. It was a typical day that turned out to be anything but typical. When a woman who was hemorrhaging blood for 12 years and lost everything she had, had nowhere to turn, had no hope, had no money, had no nothing, but she touched the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ. And her typical day became untypical when the blood stopped going as she was healed with a miracle from the Lord. Woo, somebody say amen. It was an ordinary prayer meeting one day, just like it had been nine days previously. They prayed and nothing happened. They prayed and nothing went on. They prayed and nothing was going on. They prayed and no promise. They prayed and nothing changed. They went home and nothing happened. But they showed up on an ordinary tenth day. And somehow that day became different. Because on the tenth day when they were in an upper room, 120 were having an ordinary prayer meeting on an ordinary day. And all of a sudden on this day when they didn't expect it they heard the sound like they hadn't heard before it was the sound of a mighty rushing wind and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came down on everyone there and they began to look and see cloven tongues of fire above each and every one of their heads and before you know it that ordinary turned into 5,000 people getting saved and the church of Jesus Christ was born why on an ordinary day God can do the extraordinary Woo! 
It was an ordinary day on the battlefield. One like Sisera had enjoyed many times before. But on this ordinary day, a rainstorm threw his iron chariots in the mud, put his army in disarray, and he found himself running for his life. It will be an ordinary day, hear me, hear me, and I believe soon, that we'll get a phone call, we'll wake up, it'll just be a normal day. Well, I got this to do and that to do. You'll be at work, I'll be at work, it'll be an ordinary phone call. And I'll get the line and somebody will say, hey, your Rehoboth is here. Somebody say amen. It could be an ordinary Mother's Day, just like today. You thought, well, I'm going to show up and just go to church with Mama to make her happy. I know Mama wants me in church, so I'm going to go to church with Mama. Amen. How many know what I'm talking about? And you say, I'm just going to go make her. I'm just going to go sing my songs, hear my message, take mama out to eat afterwards. It'll be a nice day when all of a sudden God breaks in in the service. He touches your heart and all of a sudden you leave transformed and never the same. I'm telling you, God specializes when turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. Jael's going about her ordinary day, ordinary routines, expecting nothing different. And God says, whoo, I got some abnormal plans for you today. You know the guy everybody's trying to kill? You know the guy that's been terrorizing y'all for all these years? Cruel, monster. <laughs> I'm going to put him in your hands. Can you imagine, Jael? Excuse me? Me? Who am I? Perhaps you're going through being a normal routine this week, expecting nothing different. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself in an extraordinary midst of abnormal plans that God has put you in the midst of. God uses ordinary people going about their ordinary days and their ordinary lives to do some of his greatest work. Listen, it may not be something as dramatic as delivering a nation from its fiercest enemy like J.L., but it could be encouraging someone to go on another day. For that person, that's their hope and that's what they needed. Dr. Mark Rutland was preaching at Lee University Convocation. And he felt led to share a story how he tried to commit suicide many times. If you know Dr. Rutland's story, he tried to commit suicide many times. He shared his story. And a young man all the way in the top balcony at Lee University came down the stairs laid a loaded pistol on the platform, which they were glad he laid it there and got it out of his hands. He gave his heart to the Lord. He told Mark Rutland, he said, I thought I'd give God one more chance. And if God didn't do something for me in this service, I was going home to blow my brains out. His ordinary day turned extraordinary when God got his heart right then at the last second. It might be helping someone through a problem they can't get past. Maybe you're, you're the one to get them over the edge. It may be an encouragement. The smallest word of encouragement you don't even realize you say. Maybe that's the one little word of encouragement that gets little Johnny over the edge at school. And now, now he begins to go the right way. And he begins to get confidence. And now he gets past that hurdle. Perhaps you give somebody, a, a cashier at a restaurant, just a, just the word, just the word of wisdom, just the word of knowledge they need to sort of get them over the hump, and now all of a sudden they're able to move forward in life. Folks, that's an extraordinary miracle for that person. It doesn't have to be something big. It can be something small. 
It was one smooth stone that took down a giant. It was one short prayer that brought down fire from heaven. It was one small step in a river that caused it to dry up. It was one jawbone of a donkey that killed a thousand men. God doesn't need us to do the spectacular or something just so grand. He just needs us to be available for the opportunities he presents. Amen. We ought to give God a clap on that. We've got to be available and watch for opportunities. One businessman was in the Dallas airport just some years ago. He had about an hour and a half before the flight, and he sat there and he thought, what can I do for God during this time? So he took out some gospel tracts he had. He put business cards in there with his name and number and information on there. And he went and he found men, and he, and he just handed them the, the, the gospel tracts with his business card. But he didn't just pass it on. Here's what he said. Pardon me, I have a little booklet here that explains to a person what it means to be a Christian and how to become one. Inside is my business card. I would like for you to read over this information. If you have any questions, I'll be sitting right over there. I have some time before my flight takes off. Or if you'd like to write, here's my mailing address. It's in there, and so is my email address. At the end of an hour and 20 minutes before he'd load his plane, men were standing four people deep to ask him questions about what they had just read. As a matter of fact, for weeks afterwards, he had correspondence to his emails and to his home because of the business cards and the tracks. Why? Because he saw an opportunity and he simply acted on it. He took an ordinary wait time for an ordinary flight and thought, I can use this for God. What can you and I use for God in our ordinary daily lives? Doesn't have to be in a church service. Doesn't have to be a lightning bolt strike you from heaven. You can simply be doing your ordinary thing and touch somebody's life in a short amount of time. Are you watching for God opportunities within your ordinary days? Opportunities with your children? Opportunities with your family? Opportunities with your neighbors? Coworkers? You see, J.L. saw a chance to do something for God and her people, and she formulated a plan. Don't be surprised when something unusual comes your way. It may just be the opportunity you've been looking for dressed up in a different package. Don't think it has to be something big. Many extraordinary things appear to be very ordinary, but I want to tell you, God specializes in taking the ordinary and making something extraordinary happen. Mamas, how do you know whether or not you're not raising up the next T.D. Jakes or the next Reinhard Bunke or the next Billy Graham or the next Robert Morris or the next Jensen Franklin or the next Tony Evans? How do you know that's not those little kid that you want to smack around and choke half the time may wind up being the greatest revivalist of our time? How do you know? Somebody say Amen. For J.L., an ordinary day became an extraordinary day of liberation and freedom. Listen, it was an ordinary day with an ordinary carpenter from Nazareth that got hung on an ordinary cross and laid in an ordinary tomb. But it turned out to be anything but ordinary. It became our extraordinary day of salvation. Woo! Pastor, I'm nobody. Pastor, I'm just ordinary. So is J.L. 
So were the people in the Bible. They weren't these big heroes. Most of them were fishermen and just average people. Next week, I'm going to finish this series on Shamgar. You don't want to miss it. This is going to be one that's going to cap the whole thing off. A farmer, just a typical ordinary farmer. And what he did in one verse was incredible. We're going to talk about that next week. Listen, ordinary people, last point, ordinary people use what they have. Now, one second, Pete. Ordinary people use what they have. Just say, use what you have. Jael was resourceful. She had no combat training. She had no weapons. She was not a military person. She didn't sit down and complain over what she didn't have. All she knew was her greatest enemy and Israel's greatest enemy, Osama bin Laden and Hitler all in one, was asleep in her tent and she had to do something. So she did something incredible. She used something she had and something she was familiar with. I need you to hear me closely as I close this out. She picked up a tent peg and a hammer. These were ordinary items in an ordinary life. It was a hammer and it was a tent peg. She thought, well, I don't have a sword. She wasn't trained in swordsmanship. Obviously, Simon Peter wasn't either because he tried to cut off Malchus's head and just got his ear. I believe that's what happened. She didn't. She wasn't an expert in bows and arrows, all that stuff. But she said, you know what? I know how to use a hammer, and I know how to use a tent peg. She said, God, the way I see it, our greatest enemy who's been cruelly oppressing us for years is laying asleep in my tent, and I got something I can use. So the Bible says she crept up quietly. I mean, what a way to go. I believe she put that thing right there on his temple, and... Nailed him to the floor. Here comes Balak. She comes running out with a hammer in her head. She said, well, the guy you're looking for is in there, but I don't put a tent peg through his head. I love it. She, she was familiar. Listen, these were items that were part of her normal, ordinary life. Her daily use. They quickly became weapons that end in Sisera and, and the tyranny. Listen. God doesn't expect you to use things you're unfamiliar with. God doesn't expect you to use things that someone else has. God says, what do you have in your hand? That's what I'll use to defeat your enemy. What do you have in your household? That's what I'll use to defeat your enemy. What? There's a miracle in your house. Somebody needs to hear me. You don't want to miss next week because I'm going to hammer on this all day long next Sunday. There's a miracle in your house. Quit thinking I need somebody else's anointing. I need somebody else's weaponry. I need somebody else's calling. Uh-uh. God said, Jail, what do you got? Well, I got a hammer and a tent peg. Well, that'll do the job. Listen, whatever you've got, whatever you're used to, whatever who you are, God will use that to win your war and defeat your enemy. Somebody say amen. Listen, sometimes faith is just using what you got. Let me say that again. Sometimes faith is used just using what you got. Dwayne's eyeing me over. He's like, that tent peg's head. easy now. Let me say it one more time. Sometimes faith is simply using what you've got, not what you don't have. God specializes in using what seems ordinary to bring the extraordinary. It could be a ride for someone. 
It could be a simple prayer for a coworker. It could be a simple word of advice for a friend. It could be a scripture that you text to use a family member. It could be a, a meal you provide for someone hungry. It could be a smile to someone angry. It could be a, a kind word to someone hurting. Small, something that seems insignificant. Listen, in 1263, the Danes and the Scots were at it. The Scottish, or the Danes, excuse me, landed on the seashore of Scotland, unawares to the Scottish people. They made their way towards where they were, took their shoes off at one point so that they could walk gently, barefooted, quietly through the night, and they were approaching. Victory was at hand. They were going to ambush them and kill them in their sleep. When all of a sudden, in the very quiet of the night, a loud, piercing scream shattered the stillness and the quietness of the night when a Dane stepped on a thistle. The Scots to this day teach this lesson in their schools. It alerted the Scots. They whipped them Danes all the way back to that seashore coastline and away they went. A thistle won the war. What do you have in your hand that can win your war? Your prayer that you think means nothing? Your intercession, you think, well, I've been praying for so-and-so for years and it ain't made no difference yet. What's today? How can it, what's the difference going to be today? Today could be when the ordinary turns into the extraordinary. You say, Pastor, I don't even know how to do nothing, but I can smile at somebody. Hey, that smile may break them down. Pastor, I don't even know. It may be a kind word you speak and they haven't heard a kind word in months. They get cussed out at home. They get railroaded on the job. Everybody's hateful to them. And all of a sudden, here you come along. And you have a kind word. You say, hey, man, God bless you. Or you just say, hey, how you doing today? I hope you have a great day. Wow, somebody hopes I have a great day. Do you realize there's people that never hear that? Pastor, I don't have much in my arsenal. It's okay. Use what you have. Jail, use this. Listen, to kill her Osama bin Laden of the day. Now, I know that isn't a physical, but in the realm we're in, we don't fight physical people. We fight in the spirit realm. We can defeat the devil with what we have. You have the necessary ingredients for a miracle. Let me say that again. You have within you the necessary ingredients of a miracle. It may not be a hammer and a tent peg, but you have what you need for God to work through to give you, whoo! A miracle. Does anybody believe this? There's a miracle in your house, so stop worrying about what you don't have and begin putting to use what you do have. Don't underestimate the power of what you do have and don't overestimate the power of what you don't have. What abilities, what resources, what time, what energy, what experiences, what relationships, what responsibilities do you have right now that can be tools in the hands of God to turn the ordinary into the extraordinary? How can you use them to glorify God?